Now, for many of us, uh, this morning's readings might inspire some trepidation. I know that from the amount of sons that have come up to me and asked me why we're reading this passage out. I'm not saying anything about that. <laughs> we're in a section now that can, can really grate on our cultural norms. And because we don't read these verses in their own cultural context and a historical context, or in a conversation with the, the other laws and the literary devices of the book, the interpretation of this can be difficult. So what I'm hoping to do this morning is to, to situate these laws in the right light so that we can see just what God is saying to us this morning and what that means for us today so that we can leave here praising God for how he forms community around us. And so the first thing we have to note is what Christoph keeps reminding us about is that Deuteronomy is a really structured book. We said that we have the, the start and the end mirroring each other by looking back and then looking forwards. Then one step on each side, we, we have motivations to obey the covenant. And, and then in the middle section, this big section, we have this collection of laws, the, the covenant stipulations. This middle section starts with the Ten Commandments, and then we get a lot of other laws that follow it. But what Moses is actually doing is he's using these laws to explain the Ten Commandments. So we get all these sections that are, that are sort of like a, a drop-down menu if we were to go and double-click on each of the individual commandments. So for instance, last week, we went, we double-clicked on the command to honor your father and mother. And what we saw was how to, how to um, respect and how to relate authority figures. So part of what it means to fulfill that commandment is to live as Christoph was describing last week. This morning, we're coming to a broader chunk that is going to cover the, the second table of the law. This, you shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, or covet your neighbor's possessions. The ones that relate to, to that refer to how we relate to one another. And the reason that seeing this is, is so helpful is that it's going to cut through certain cultural barriers and remind us about the reason that the commands were given. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses tells the people that he is going to teach them these laws so that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, your, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So the reason that Moses is trying to get the people to keep the, mans, the commands is for land, the land flowing with milk and honey, for seed, that they may multiply, and blessing, that it might go well with you. Land, seed, and blessing. It's this threefold pitch that we keep getting that stands for being in relationship with God. We are being told that, that this is the path to life, to knowing God. We are given a, a pattern and a value system of how we relate to one another so that we can individually deepen our relationships with God. So with all that in mind, we are going to look at a few of these laws and, and see how it follows this path, how adopting the, the principles and the guardrails that, lead, that these laws point to is going to create a community that stimulates our own love for God. So let's dive into our first passage, chapter 21. Now, chapter 21 has some elements of other commandments present, as you'd probably expect since they're all going to be related. But the driving force here, as you can read, is about responding to death. So we see part of the expansion of you shall not murder. So we get some instructions about capital punishment, which acts to show us what murder isn't. 
but we also get appropriate responses to death or to killing that are outlined. So in verse 18, we see a case where a son is involved in blatant and persistent rebellion against his parents to the point where the parents can do nothing about his behavior. And what we are to assume here is that whatever this rebellion is, it has now become an issue that is affecting the whole community. And we can see that because in verse 21, it's the whole community that is involved in the punishment. And so that person is to be brought before the courts and the elders are going to decide his fate, which could be anything up to and including death. Now, the important thing to see here is the purpose of this law. Look at verse 21. It is to purge the evil from the land and to act as a warning to others. So there's a sense that they they to prevent sinful behavior from affecting them. So just for a second, try and get over the, the cultural distance of, of the actual practice and see the intent here. It's that evil isn't allowed to be given a place among them. And to continue from that, we immediately get another law in verse 22 that talks about what to do with someone who was guilty of a capital offense and has been put to death. So a bit of context, the practice of the nations at the time would be to display the body of a, of a criminal so that people wouldn't want to follow in that criminal's footsteps. But what we get in verse 23 is a really strict admonition to not leave the body out overnight. So there is an instruction to not be like the nations around them by limiting this practice. And why? Because as we read here, the person hung on a tree or hung on a pole is under God's curse. And in some way, having them displayed, having this curse visible to everyone would desecrate the land that the Lord was giving them. Now, this obviously relates to Jesus and how he took the punishment that we deserved and became accursed even though he had no sin. About how his, through his substitutionary atonement, the curse that we deserved was taken from us and buried with him so that we can be pure in front of God. But it does that and it strikes that chord because, and now you can make note of this or just to keep this in mind, the concept behind these laws here is that they don't defile the land. Sin is not meant to, to spread here because this land is supposed to be a place of life and not death. The promised land is supposed to reflect something of God's character, and so they shouldn't leave symbols of death and curse about to mark out their home. Think of Adam where the ground is cursed in his rebellion. Think of Cain where his, his brother's blood cries out from the ground. The land being cursed points to sin and death. And so even when death is required in certain circumstances, it is not to be a marker of their community. Instead, they should look about and see blessing. The curse is to be removed. So you shall not murder doesn't just show us that murder is wrong, but it also tells us something about what we are to value and how we are to interact with one another. We are to be a people of good Samaritans, redeemed by the blood of Christ and transformed through the Spirit of Christ to reflect Him by valuing life and blessing, not participating in death and curses. Let's look at another law, chapter 22, verse 13. I'm not going to read it out, but, but this is a section that starts 
It is concerned with sexual relationships. It's explaining the implications and the values behind you shall not commit adultery. And among other things we find there, there's a case where a man marries a woman, but then finds out later that she wasn't a virgin. And so he takes her to the elders, and the woman's father is there to produce proof of her virginity. And what we get then are two scenarios. One where the woman has been falsely accused, and the man is, is fined and, and shamed and has restrictions placed upon him because he has slandered an innocent Israelite. And one where the charge is true, where the woman wasn't a virgin. Now, it's important to note that at the time, the reason for that wouldn't have been like the reason that we would have today, where we have divorced sex from any concept of religion. In the ancient world, almost everything was religious. Sex wasn't just sex. It was an expression of worldview. So it's probable that this would have been understood as referring to a person who had been involved in some other type of religious movement rejecting God's ways and worshiping other gods, and then lying to her father, lying to her husband, misrepresenting herself as part of the people when she actually wasn't. And for that reason, we read in verse 21 that the punishment is death, again, in order to purge the evil from among you. We've talked about it in Kings, where Solomon marries all these foreign women and their religious practices start filtering out to, to the people. And so here what we have is an impure relationship, one that began in lies and is not directed at following God or being a part of the people of God. So in the first scenario, what we are seeing being valued is integrity and a purity of relationships imaged by keeping sexual relations within marriage. And then the second where what we were talking about is, is, in, is an insidious way in which idol worship could be brought into the people of God and instructions on how to stop it and to show how important the purity of our relationship with God truly is. And so just like before, we need to note that the thing of value that these laws point to is the need to keep relationships pure. Purity of relationship, especially the sexual relationship, but not limited to that reflects something of the character of God. In the New Testament, we read that a husband and a wife relationship should point to Christ and his church. And so to be marked as the people of God means that their relationships should point to him. In Leviticus, we get a similar set of rules on sexual practices, and those rules are framed with the admonition to not copy the practices of the land of Egypt where you dwelt. And so again, these, these ways of living mark out the people of God by what they value and how their relationships keep them loving and following their God. We are marked as a people committed to holiness because we've been redeemed and we seek to imitate Christ who is holy. Okay, so, so far we've seen that these laws prevent them from defiling the land and bringing curses upon it so that they experience the blessings of God that he has for them and laws that regulate their relationships so that they continue to follow God. And now we're going to look to chapter 24, which, which Audrey read for us. In verse 17 we read, Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Can we see that there? The foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. 
These are images of the most vulnerable in society, those who would be easiest to deprive of justice and to exploit. And what we get in verses 19 to 21 are instructions to to not covet and, and hoard food so that there's none for the vulnerable, to leave it for them, to gather, to give them dignity, and to standardize this to recognize that these vulnerable people are part of the community. It's not charity we see here. It's a duty to God. Now, Christoph went over these verses in more detail for our harvest sermon, so I'm not going to rehash that. But what we should note is that the thing of value here is a unity and awareness of dignity that covers all people. (coughs) These laws prevent them from becoming the type of people who would exploit and abuse the weakest among them. Instead of following the ways of the world, the Israelites are to hold and are told to follow God and have their relationships reflect something of God's character so that they are marked out as the people of God. Here today, we value one another because we've been adopted into the family. We're all children of God, all given dignity by what Christ has done for us. Now, that's been a real whistle-stop tour of of those verses. I'm sorry we had to move so quickly through them, but hopefully we can see these overarching drive of the section, what they are to value in how they relate to one another. So what Moses has been saying is that in the promised land, in the land that reflects the blessings of God to people, their community should point to life, not death, blessings, not cursings. Their relationship should point to a purity and dependence upon God, not on worldly desire fulfillment. And how they view others should point to dignity and not disgrace. And all the while, we need to remember that the Israelites are hearing this, standing on the edge of the promised land. They're, They're in the desert, but with Egypt at their backs. Egypt. This is the picture of of slavery, the land of cursing, where relationships didn't point to God and the laws made them less human than their masters. What is being said here in verse 22 is reminding them of Egypt. It's that they aren't to make the promised land look like Egypt. They have been freed and given a path to life. And now God gives them guidelines and instructions to to hold up values that are going to prevent them from the cursing the land and turning it a place from a land flowing of milk and honey to a place of death, to a place of cursing, to a place where they don't have relationship with God. It's a picture of a new Egypt. Moses is begging the people, don't don't be another Adam. Don't turn this paradise into exile. And he's saying that how they might do that is in how they relate to one another. He's begging them here to choose healthy community. Choose a community that is going to make them love the Lord, not a community that's going to make them turn from him. Choosing healthy community is not primarily about all of us getting on. It's not about providing a safe space for for self-expression. It's about stopping us from making a fresh Egypt wherever we are. And it's about a way of interacting that makes us love God and see his love for us 
so that our relationships here actually develop our personal relationships with the Lord? Do, do you see that when you look around? Do you see that God has given you each other and his church as a way of deepening your love for him? Not as a club to give you what you want, but as a mother to bring you to maturity. The way we do things here is is not for our enjoyment, but for our discipleship. Brothers and sisters, we are here to meet with God. And God gives us a community of each other to help us do that. He doesn't command us to sing because we we all really like to do that. He commands us to sing together because something about song strikes to our very hearts. And there are going to be times when you're going to come in that door and you're struggling so much that you can't even think of what to pray. But hearing our family sing out truths about God can stir our souls and point us to Christ in a way that nothing else can. We hear the Bible read and we study it together, not so that we can pass a test, but so that different people can apply it to our lives and keep us focused upon Christ when we are spiritually dry. We are here to be a blessing to one another, so much so that when an outsider comes in, they should think that Hamilton Road looks like Eden, not like Egypt. So if you're here and and you aren't a member, I'd really encourage you to consider being a member. Not so that we can claim that we're growing as a church, but, but so that you can engage in community that God has established for your good. We are given ways to relate to one another so that we love God more. We are to be marked by blessing. We are to have pure relationship. We are to value people so that we provide good soil for spiritual fruit. So if you aren't a member of a church, I'd encourage you, choose healthy community. Choose to be a part of something. But if you already are a member here or or somewhere else, what does it say about you? What does this say to you? How can you choose to make our community healthy? Well, let's think about the three principles we've identified in the verses. Firstly, can we bless one another rather than curse? Now, there's the obvious application that that how we speak about one another in, in, in a way that tries to build each other up rather than tearing each other down. So can you think, is that how you speak to other here, other people here? Is that how you speak about other people here to others? Does your chat after the service bring about life? But obviously, it, it's, it's more than just that. Blessing each other means that we have to preach the gospel to one another. It means speaking into people's lives, getting to the heart issues. When something is going through something difficult, do we just nod and and sympathize? Or do we go beyond that and remind them of God's goodness, of of how much we, we love them and how much we're for them and how much we will walk with them however long they need us for and however they need us to do that? We can empathize, but but what about asking about how is this affecting their hearts? What about praying for them? What about praying for them there and then? What if, our, if that interaction wasn't just a, a nice comment, but was marked by blessing? 
We're to speak to each other in a way that points to God, both by restraining those negative ways we love to speak and by actively encouraging those ways in which we can bring life in what we say. We are redeemed people. So let's make our interactions bless one another. What about purity of relationships? Well, again, we need to work hard at at restraining the negative things that that hold people in bondage. So being careful about how we interact with others, in how we dress, in what images we put out there on social media. Always being aware of how that might affect others. Those of us who are are single but maybe looking for a spouse, I just think you've got such a, a difficult task because of how the world tells you to go about that. Trust what the scripture says. Don't let your beauty come from outward appearance, but from the inner self. But we should also think of the positive ways to actively make our relationships point to Jesus. That doesn't mean that church is is all you talk about with people. But you could ask people, how are you doing spiritually? Just like you ask how work is going. It could also mean that you spiritually mature people out there, start seeking others to actively disciple Could you start a relationship that expressly points to Jesus? And finally, how do we value people? It's so easy in our culture to view people based upon what they can do or to think about people according to how they can fulfill our vision of things. And so suddenly we create a culture reminiscent of Egypt and and slavery rather than one that gives life Instead, we're called to see that value comes from who we are in Christ. This is the marker of our community. So I'll ask you, will you sacrifice your comfort or your preferences because developing the faith of another is more valuable to you than that? God has called us to be his people, but he hasn't left us to it. He has given us his word, his spirit, and his church to build us up and mature us so we can love him more deeply and receive his love in our lives. He's given us principles for how we are to interact with each other so that this community can look like Eden and not Egypt. We are a people who have been redeemed, who have been called into community, who have been tasked with building one another up with blessing one another and bringing each other to maturity. So look around you. Here are your mentors. Here are your disciples. How you interact will either reflect God and all that Christ has done for us or it will reflect a land of slavery. So what will it look like for you to choose healthy community? However that might look, the the, the only way that we can make that choice is through the power of the Spirit convicting us and the guidance of the Word as we walk this path of life. And so the the band are going to come back up now and we're going to sing in a second. But before we do that, let me just leave you with this. Will your praise today end with the benediction? Or will you, and all that you say and all that you do in your relationships, point people to Christ and how he has brought you out of slavery to sin?
This is our calling. So let's join our voices together now and let this place echo with the sounds of heaven so that we are caught up in praise and love of God and can walk together on that path of life. Let's stand and let's sing together. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.